Welcome today, Sarah DeJong from 1000 Hearts. She's worked at Lifeline Canteen and the Tasmanian Cancer Council. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much, Kylie. It's so lovely to have you today. I first had my experience with my first heart about two years ago. I was going through some mental health issues and a friend of mine gave me this gorgeous little yellow felt heart and said to me, this is for you. My mum makes these. Now, it was such a blessing to receive on that day. So can you tell me how did 1000 Hearts come about? Uh, first of all, I would really like to acknowledge that little story that you've just told, because for me to hear that the hearts are being shared out in the world, and that's an interaction that I haven't heard before now. So for me to kind of hear that story, um, and I hear quite a few of those stories, and to know that this thing that I started is making a difference for people is incredibly powerful and touching. So thank you for kicking off with that lovely little story. It started in 2016, in February. So it people ask me why it started and I've given various versions of that story, I suppose, depending on what I felt was the starting point at the time. Now, sort of four and a half years down the track, looking back, I think it was actually a real culmination of a lot of different things that had happened in my life and I guess, you know, also to do with the person that I am and how I express care and love and all that sort of thing. So it's kind of like threads coming together that eventuated in this kindness project that I started. And a few of those threads, I suppose, were having worked in non-profits and worked with really vulnerable people. And through my work, I really learned that kindness and connection between humans is so powerful. And having worked in different organisations with different groups of vulnerable people and in different therapeutic models and having studied different therapeutic models, um, I've been really struck by, you know, the consistent effectiveness of just connecting in a genuine way with somebody and how powerful that can be and actually how transformative that can be for the person you're helping, but also for you as a helping person. And then I guess, you know, I come from a long line of makers. And so my dad is a jeweler and sculptor and painter. So he's a real creative. My mum is also an artist. She draws um, and paints with ink wash. So I guess I always grew up with art around me and with people making things and with that being a source of joy and reward and um, fulfilment. So that was always something that I found was enriching. And then in 2016, a little while before I started the project, my marriage had broken down. I was, I've got two children, so I was living the life of a you know newly divorced mother with a good relationship with my co-parent and all of that. But it was a really, really difficult time, quite a shattering time actually to kind of rebuild. So I think there's some of the things that kind of came together and made me think, right, I just want to do something that puts goodness into the world and that's all I want it to be about. You started off wanting to make 1,000 hearts. Was Where did that number come from? Because you're making the felt hearts, sewing them by hand, stuffing them. So it's a labour of love. So 1,000, why 1,000? Definitely wasn't thinking of a brand name. <laughs> I, never, I never thought it would go anywhere, really. Um, I think I wanted it to be a challenge for me. I wanted it to be a significant number that that I would kind of bulk at and think wow that is really because I wanted there to be some kind of effort and sacrifice on my part I guess to make it 
really meaningful and really focused for a period of time. And I think also probably just somewhere in my consciousness was that story around the thousand paper cranes. It wasn't intentionally drawn from that, but I suspect that that kind of, you know, because that was also a labour of love and and a, a gift out to people of kindness. So, yeah, I think that was probably part of a cultural influence as well for, for me choosing that number. And it was a bit of a feat. But now I look back on that and think, a thousand, that's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I've made so many thousand now. And, yeah. And I'm still going. So, yeah, but it, it did feel like a significant challenge at that time. That sounds really amazing. Tell me about the power of connection and comfort that these hearts are bringing to people. That's such a beautiful question. I think I'll tell you some stories, I think, to illustrate that rather than try and explain it. I've given out a lot of hearts and I've had so many people come back to me later and say what a difference the heart has made and that they carry it in their pocket or they carry it with them wherever that might be. Not everyone puts it in their pocket. (laughs) But, you know, they carry it with them or they keep it somewhere where they can look at it and it reminds them that someone has cared enough to offer them that token of kindness. And I think in that offering and in that moment of giving, there is a real connection. So when you actually hand over a heart, it it's a, you know, it's a lovely, appealing, colourful symbol, which people are kind of drawn to because it's cute and it's squidgy and that sort of thing. So there's an immediate appeal in the hearts, I think, that kind of draw people in. But the actual power of the heart is in the fact that they are a symbol of initially kindness, but I think underlying that is just this kind of universal love that we all need to survive and that we all want to feel from our fellow man or our family or friends or the universe or God or however we interpret that. And when you get a a symbol of love and kindness from another person who's recognised that you need one, that I think instantly connects you on on quite a deep emotional level, whether or not you know that person you know, and whether they're in your life day to day. So I've given them to a lot of strangers and the, and that connection, it's actually often more powerful with a stranger than it is if I'm giving it to somebody that I, that I know quite well. That sounds beautiful. So that's what I was going to say. I saw something on your Facebook page, um, an organisation called Quest for Life. They support people and have um, inpatient, I guess, programs. Mm-hmm. So they said on there that at this time of COVID, especially the young people that are telling their struggles, their stories, their their traumas, they're giving them these hearts as a symbol of recognition, as a symbol of strength and support, and it's making a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So how have you reached out further than Tasmania? Because that's where you're from. How have these mm-hmm. hearts gone? Have they gone worldwide? Yeah, they have. Um, They've gone incredibly far and I guess because of the way the project works, I send a lot of hearts out myself, so I physically make them and and send them out. We also have heartists who volunteer their time and make hearts and send them to me for me to send out to to people who need them. Um, But they're also on my website. There are resources that so people can get involved without ever having direct contact with me if, if they wish. So they can source their own materials or they may have things at home that they are already using for other projects and they can make hearts and give them out in their community. And and I haven't put any restrictions around that. I mean, I ask people to, you know, let people know you're part of a thousand hearts because that allows people to connect with our community. But there's no agenda or requirement on my part. People can, can be part of the project in whatever way 
suits them. And that's just about inclusivity, which was really important for me setting it up. So how far it's gone is actually impossible for me to tell, which I love. <laughs> it's just, you know, it leaves it open to the imagination, I guess. But it also means that we're not, you know, keeping stats or counting people or anything. It, it's just allowed to grow organically in, in whatever way it grows. And the hearts are in a lot of um, hospitals and cancer care centres and schools and families and community group. They've been sent to funerals and been shared at weddings and, you know, kids' birthday parties, all sorts of times where humans come together, I think, either with joy or when they need comfort or times of grief. Um, I think those moments of connection and, yeah, when we come together... Um, and during COVID, they're now being shared where we can't physically come together. They're being shared as symbols of togetherness and closeness. Because on your website and your Facebook page, I saw that it, they've gone to Manchester, they've gone to people mm. in the bushfires. Like what was the Manchester reason overseas? So when there was the bombing at the um, concert and a lot of young people and were impacted by that attack in Manchester, Actually, someone at the hospital where some of the, the children were being treated and cared for, she followed my project. So she actually got in contact and said, you know, I'm in this hospital and some hearts would really go a long way. So I sent a batch of hearts and she was able, through her contacts, to then get them to the to the children and the families that had been at the concert and, and injured in that bomb attack. Yeah, so she came back to me and said that they had been delivered and then quite a bit later I heard from the mother of one of the girls who was injured and she said that her daughter after that attack obviously was highly traumatised and wouldn't leave the house and was just very frightened of people. She had lost a lot of trust in strangers and for her, for that little girl, I think she was quite young, she was about 11 or 12 I think, and for her receiving a heart from a stranger on the other side of the world, that really changed things for her and, and allowed her to recognise that strangers can be kind as well. So there's not, it went towards reducing her fear, I guess, of, of unknown people in her life, which is very humbling to hear that. Humbling, but also you've made a massive impact, which is fantastic. So on your website too, you say, I believe that kindness can change our hearts and the world. So mm -hmm. kindness is massive for you where did that come from it's a big statement isn't it but i i guess i think if our i do believe that when we practice kindness it changes our hearts and our minds and the way we see the world and if if a lot of people do that then we start to get a change in the world and i think that you know i think that's quite powerful but it needs to start with self-kindness too so running a kindness project i did a psychology degree back in the day and so I really am interested in how people operate and you know how we can change over time and and what creates transformation in our in the way we see the world and how we regulate our emotions and all of that stuff so and self-kindness has has emerged as something very important for me personally and really fascinating to see how people involved in a thousand hearts are often coming from a place of wanting to give out kindness, but often being quite ill-equipped to offer that same kindness to themselves. So I have a lot of conversations with people who, who join and having worked in nonprofits, I've also worked with a lot of volunteers who come from a bit of the same place. And I've been in that place myself too, where you feel like you need to 
give out and give out and give out, but you're not, you know, it's, it's kind of selfish or self-indulgent to receive kindness or to, to offer the kindness to yourself. And the power of, of being able to actually be compassionate to your own needs and to recognise yourself as, you know, an imperfect human who will make mistakes but is, is worthy of love can be very, I think, life-changing. It has been for me. We're talking to Sarah DeJong of 1000 Hearts from Tasmania and we'll be back after this break. Welcome back, listeners. We're with Sarah DeJong from 1000 Hearts in Tasmania. Sarah, we've just spoken a little bit about not being perfect. So also Mm -hmm. a quote on the Facebook page I saw today is, our best is messy. I am messy, messy, messy in my emotional ability to connect with others, in my speech sometimes, in my overall persona. And in the past, I think I've seen myself as a bad person because of that. Mm. Could you talk to me about our best is messy? First of all, welcome to being human. (laughs) 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 I like it. I think we're really good at pretending not to be messy or, you know, we kind of feel like we're not allowed to be. But I think humanity is messy. Human emotion is messy. Our world is pretty messy. And I think, you know, this perfectionism that a lot of us struggle with, and I include myself in that, probably slightly less these days than I used to, but still have a very strong habitual thought, you know, process in that direction. But what I, I guess what I realised was that perfectionism is actually a form of self-cruelty. So it's actually working against yourself when you're pushing yourself to be perfect when a human being is not perfect. We're not flawless. We're not perfect physically. There's always marks and scars and things that go wrong with our bodies and all of that sort of thing. And it's the same emotionally. But if we break a leg or get a physical injury we don't beat ourselves up as much as if we have an emotional problem or we or we're struggling to process grief or we're going through a hard time and 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 don't move through it in in the time frame or the manner in which we think we should so we can be quite unforgiving of ourselves i think and even and i think that you know the your best is messy or my best is messy i think once you start forgiving yourself for being imperfect and allowing yourself to be human and just doing whatever your best looks like at the time, you're still making a mess. <laughs> <laughs> and I th- But I think you kind of let go of the expectation that it's going to be anything else. And But in the mess, like if you look at an artist, let's go to the artist example, having grown up with artists myself and having a craft room that is insanely messy most of the time, out of mess, you know, creativity is messy. If you get out all your materials and you're going to build a sculpture or you're going to sew some felt hearts and you have to cut all the scraps off and, you know, do your, throw your stuffing around and cut off your thread ends, that's messy. But out of the messiness comes the, the beautiful, amazing parts of what we are able to create. So whether that's a piece of art or, you know, something that you've cooked with love or a human relationship – we make a bit of a mess when we're creating and and I think, you know, we, we kind of need to be kinder to ourselves and accept that that is part of the process of living and, and messy is not only okay but actually necessary and wonderful and beautiful because of what comes out of mess. So, yeah, I think if, if you kind of can 
I think for all of us, if we can change our thinking about messiness and dysfunction, even the words around it, actually they're just all really normal, normal parts of being alive. I love that. And I love this. You said this, perfectionism is a form of cruelty to ourselves. I have mm. never thought about it in that way. Mm. That is so true because you're struggling against yourself. You're pushing against who you are in that moment. And that's what we, we need to be present. We need to be gentle and kind, I guess, to ourselves. And perfectionism isn't being kind to ourselves. Yeah. And I think when we strive for perfection, we are striving for something that is impossible to achieve. We are never going to be perfect. We're human. We we can't achieve perfection, whatever that even means. And I think if you, like you would never say to a small child, you know, who had a broken leg, okay, you need to go and and run a marathon today that would be cruel you know that child is unable to, to mm. do that task that you say you would never even imagine doing that and yet we do the emotional equivalent of that to ourselves all the time yep. we set ourselves tasks to be perfect that we can never achieve so you're always going to be falling short of that goal and that's where I think it's cruel because you're actually setting yourself up to constantly feel that you're not good enough and then that sets up a whole other emotional cycle, which it sounds like you and I are both quite familiar <laughs> with, um, where you're just constantly trying to feel that you are good enough. And so I think for me, one of the keys in finally starting to feel good enough is to stop striving for perfection. And actually now I just strive to be the best person that I can be in the here and now. And and that's served me much better than trying to be perfect. <laughs> I love that too. That sounds great. Coming back now to 1000 Hearts, how has, we've talked about how the hearts have impacted people that receive them. How has it impacted the sewers and the craftists? You're, you call them the heartists, which I love. <laughs> how have they felt contributing? Um, it's been really actually beautiful to see the impact on the hardest and I think it's probably something that I kind of recognised in myself as I was sewing those initial 1,000, partly when I was sewing them but especially when I sent them out and started seeing their impact and I think the hearts, I think one of the really lovely things about the hearts and one of the reasons the project has grown in the way that it has is because it's actually, it's beautiful for the giver and the receiver and I have one hardest who constantly her name's Carol and I think she'd be fine with me using her first name on this. <laughs> um she's been sewing hearts for me I don't even know for how long but quite a long time she's made thousands and thousands of hearts which have gone out in our free packs and community hearts and been given out randomly here and there and I give them out at my work and she's she's made so many and at, at one point quite a while ago before it really kicked off um I had a real quite a stash of Carol's hearts at my house and I messaged her and said you can slow down if you like because we've actually got a bit of a stockpile this would never happen now by the way <laughs> this was <laughs> this was a couple of years ago and I said look because I felt a bit bad I thought oh gosh she must be working so hard and she's spending all this time and I just want to let her off the hook a bit so I sent her a message just saying you can slow down and she was really distressed by um by that suggestion that she slow down and and she explained to me how much it meant for her to to make the hearts and how it was giving her a real purpose to and to know that she was making a difference and that exchange with Carol I think was for me so powerful in recognizing how 
transformative this whole thing can can be and is for the heartists as well as the people actually receiving the heart hearts because before then I was probably a bit more focused on the recipients to be honest and it also made me think well what if someone told me I should slow down or or you know could back off I'd I would feel a loss as well so now Carol is really happy because I'm constantly saying we need more hearts <laughs> <laughs> she sounds like an amazing person She's so beautiful. community hearts can you tell me about that so part of the project has always been um, making hearts freely accessible to anyone who needs them so in the beginning when I very first started all the hearts I sent out were completely free and I didn't have the Etsy shop and I didn't have any for sale and it was that was just the way it is but you know being on my own and working in non-profits I didn't have the financial backing to keep that going long term so once it grew beyond the thousand hearts that I did initially I had to you know find a way of funding the project so that it expanded into a small business component but it's always been really important for me to make hearts accessible to anyone who wants them so the the ways people can access the hearts are through requesting a free pack through the website, which is a small pack of five or six hearts, which is just designed for an individual to receive and share some, keep one for themselves for self-kindness and then share a few with friends and family. Um, and the community hearts are a bigger pack of hearts that are available in the Etsy shop at a low cost. So you don't have to pay for the ones that I make. You can kind of access these much more economical bunch of hearts and and a lot of charities and hospitals and school groups go for the community hearts because they're affordable and they're just a good option for people who don't want to or are unable for whatever reason to make hearts themselves because the other option of course in a if you want a big batch of hearts is to make them yourself or get some volunteers to make them with you and um, and spread the love in that way so you mentioned your etsy shop so what do you sell sell on there there are plain pocket hearts so the actual original hearts that I'm that are pretty much the same as when I started back in 2016 so they're available all except for the community hearts they're all things that I've made so embellished hearts and decorated hearts and specialty hearts that sort of thing and people can also buy kits to make their own hearts and there are several different kits that people can access and then pre-cut hearts as well so what I found as I was started selling the kits. Initially, it was just a very basic kit because a lot of people were coming to me and saying, you know, do you have materials that I can start making these? And and the Thousand Hearts shape is actually a heart that I drew originally. So it's Aww. not, yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not something you can go out and, and buy a cutter at the shop. You know, it's something that, yeah, it's my original heart shape. So, but a lot of people were coming back to me saying, well, I don't like cutting out the felt. It's tricky and they don't look, that, you know they're really wonky and they don't come out well and my hand hurt and so then I had a, a cutter made and and started cutting hearts out to the thousand hearts template myself and and they're available in the Etsy shop as well for people who don't like cutting felt <laughs> <laughs> to be honest my daughter and I had a go I made because I'm a yoga teacher I made some hearts oh. for my year nine students at the end of one yeah, term beautiful. and they love them and my daughter had a go and she was a bit wonky so she wasn't very happy with herself but yeah she's had a go too so if people want to get involved so if they want to contribute hearts or they obviously can go to your website and go to the etsy shop so the website is www.1130hearts.com.au um but if they want to get involved and make hearts do you accept people's hearts they send in if they're a bit imperfect 
Absolutely. And the address people can send hearts to is also on the website. Um, and also if people want to get their own materials, there are some suggested stockists and things as well. So I've tried to cover everyone's bases there. But yeah, look, we do accept imperfect hearts. In, in fact, they're the best kind because the perfect heart as you know as we've kind of discussed it just simply doesn't exist and <laughs> we, <laughs> we can keep striving but we're never going to get there so i think in the free packs and community hearts the, you know they are made up of hearts that are donated by people out in the community and you know i think the the key lesson there is that it's it's the love and kindness that goes into it not not so much the end product and heart making is a really good opportunity to practice self-kindness because when I have run um, workshops in schools and things, the first thing so many people do when they make their first heart is go, oh, it's not quite good enough or look at my wonky stitching or, oh, you know, I didn't do a very good job there. So it's, and so I made a rule that in workshops, you're not allowed to criticise your heart. You, you know, you're just not allowed to say those things. Yeah. People still do and I'm not strict about that, but it's just to encourage people to, if you can change the way you talk to yourself and about what you create, those small changes gradually can lead to more self-compassion. That's very powerful. And my daughter too, I must say, she added little letters, love letters into the hearts Aww, for my students yeah. so that they Beautiful. could receive the hearts. Thank you so much, Sarah. It has been heartwarming, warm and fuzzy, really, talking to you today. <laughs> So if you're interested in being a heartist or finding out more about 1000 Hearts or yourself purchasing a pack, please go to www.1000hearts.com.au. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks, Kylie. It's been absolutely lovely chatting with you. Thank you. You're on Good Health Radio and we'll be back after this break. <laughs> 